0: At the time when kings go off to war, David sent his commander Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent for her and committed adultery. Shortly after Bathsheba became pregnant. In a bid to cover up his sin, David sent for Bathsheba's husband who was fighting with the armies of Israel. David hoped that he would sleep with his wife and assume the child was his own. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told, Uriah did not go home So he asked Uriah, "'Haven't you just come from a military campaign? "'Why didn't you go home?' Uriah said to David, "'The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, "'and my commander Joab and my lord's men "'are camped in the open country. "'How could I go to my house to eat and drink "'and make love to my wife? "'As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing.' Then David said to him, "'Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back.' So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. David then devised a darker plan to cover up his sin. In the morning, David wrote a letter to his army commander and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So Bathsheba's husband Uriah was killed. David married Bathsheba and she gave birth to a son. However, God sent the prophet Nathan to David to confront him. Nathan said to David, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man this is what the lord the god of israel says i anointed you king over israel and i delivered you from the hand of saul i gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms i gave you all israel and judah and if all this had been too little i would have given you even more why did you despise the word of the lord by doing what is evil in his eyes You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. discovering destiny. I am a father leaving a legacy. I am the King of Israel. I am David.
1: Morning. Morning Kingsgate. Great to be back again following my wife from last week who was speaking on Mephibosheth. Uh, I, I like to follow her around the country to, to correct all her mistakes and sort of clear up all the things that she has done wrong. She is a wonderful preacher, isn't she? That was a bit underwhelming. She is a wonderful preacher, isn't she? Of course she is. <clears throat> whenever we, uh, whenever uh, we were asked to speak on David, it was a, it was a great thrill. And, and uh, when I got my subject, Men Behaving Badly... I, honestly, it's been, it's been really interesting preparing for it and the things that I've been thinking about that's brought up in, in my own heart. Um, I, many years ago, when Priscilla we and I were teenagers and we were going together, uh, we went to a meeting. Uh, we, were, we were from the Christian Brethren and we went to our assembly. A man had come over to do a particular talk on uh, relationships and by the end of it, we were more confused than we we started because it was very unclear. And of course, there were things you didn't talk about. So I I need to warn you today that, uh, in the words of an old Irish phrase, uh, that we never call a spade an agricultural implement. (laughs) So I'm going to be quite blunt and upfront with you today. and uh, and tell it like it is. And as I stand before you today, honestly, I come in the fear of God because I'm not a disinterested uh, communicator, but a man who understands this subject only too well. I'm going to try and speak from a biblical standpoint, basing what I'm going to say on the the story of David, but also as someone who knows temptation and struggles in this particular area. I want to make it clear that God's given us the gift of sex in its proper context to enjoy. I'm not a prude, that's not what this is, about today. And I understand that some of you will have had an unwanted or destructive sexual experience forced upon you. Some of you will have failed morally. Some of you will have had husbands, fathers, wives, and mothers who have let you down. And I don't want to add to your pain either. We all need God's grace and help. When it comes to sexual sin, no one is exempt from temptation. Please don't ever think that. But as we deal with this, again, I'm reminded of an old phrase, and it goes something like this. If you sow a wrong thought, you reap a wrong word. If you sow a wrong word, you reap a wrong action. If you sow a wrong action, you reap a wrong character. And if you sow a wrong character, you reap a wrong destiny. What I mean is this, this thing, nobody ever wakes up in the morning and said, I'm gonna commit adultery today. Begins in their head, a thought process that ultimately can lead to unfaithfulness and heartbreak. So let's have a look at our story. Our story begins in Jerusalem. It's that time of year whenever kings go to war, but David is in Jerusalem. Now, the writer of the story is trying to make a point here, of course. It's a time when kings went to war. David's relaxing. What's the problem with that? Your resting is good. Yes, of course it is. That's okay. But it was the season for war. And it's the, the issue is this. It's not that relaxing is, is, not, is not okay. It's that David should have been with his men and his troops. He finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And as a result, of course, he sees something that leads to an action. And I think that's just, a, 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 as, as a very start, something I, I think is really important for us. Not only not to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, but to find yourself in the right place at the right time. Again, my granny, Irish grannies have a lot to answer for. She used to say, uh, the, devil makes, the devil makes work for idle hands. And it's true. In other words, if you're engaged in serving God where you should be with the people of God, investing your passion, investing your energy, your time, your talents, you know something, rarely you'll find yourself in in the wrong place. David finds himself in the wrong place. And of course, it leads to a chain of events. He gets up. He's had a, uh, he looks over at the, uh, uh, the roof of his palace and he looks down and he sees a beautiful woman and she's bathing. And no doubt he liked what he saw. Now David, David you've got to remember that David's a vulnerable man. David had a weakness for women and a, a weakness for sex. He's where he shouldn't have been. He's never actually checked his appetite. And we come to the whole issue of I think what's happened here is that David sees and his eyes linger and it sets, in chain a, 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 a rather it sets in motion a chain of events that lead to the story that we've read today. You say, but, you know, Paul, it, it's not that easy. Sometimes you look and Martin Luther said this, you cannot prevent a bird from flying over your head, but you can prevent it from building a nest in your hair. What David should have done, of course, was that once he looked, was turn away and get back into the palace or take a cold shower or go for a five-mile run. (laughs) But, of course, David, David doesn't do that. The whole concept of thoughts are dealt with by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, who, when talking about the law, he says, you've heard it, 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 you've heard it was written, you, you shall not commit adultery, but he says, but I say to you, if you look after a woman and lust after her, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Every act of sexual unfaithfulness is preceded by, pre, is preceded by premeditated thoughts. Now, unwise behavior, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I'll talk about that in a moment, is one thing. But I think the core, uh, right at the very start of this issue, is dealing with our thought life. We we uh, we're living in a day when the whole uh, the whole thing of pornography is all around us, and it's important that we talk about it because if we think it's happening out there and only happening out there, we are fooling ourselves. Most of us have access to a tablet or a PC, late night television, whatever. And the reality is that we are, many of us are looking at things and feeding our minds and our hearts and things that are ultimately going to be destructive in our lives. The late David Wilkerson, a prophet of the 20th, 20th century, he said 25 years ago, gave a prophetic word, went all across the world, that eventually pornography would be beamed right into our homes. We, we, we didn't get it because we didn't have multi-channels, the internet in those days. But he said somehow this is going to happen. And he was so right. And it is causing disruption in our families and in our schools. My own daughter, who was a teacher for several years, said that her first-year boys who were 11 and 12 on their smartphones all the time were, were watching pornography uh, in class and throughout the day. It's an epidemic David sees something and he likes what he sees. I think we've got to be really careful what we read and what we look at and what we watch on our computers. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul actually begins to deal with this. And he talks about taking every thought captive to the mind of Christ. In other words, at the very core and and start of something, you know, as we want to live pure lives, it begins with our thought life. We say, Lord, in in Philippians 4, it talks about whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true. My father-in-law, as a young man, he used to teach me that. I I said, would it be okay to watch this? He says, does it come into this category? Is it lovely? Is it pure? Is it good? Is it wholesome? And you said of take a stand back and go, well, actually, it's not. I I think there's something about taking captive the thoughts that come into our mind. We can't help those. Sometimes they come in, but we can we can't help them taking root in our, in our minds. I, I, again, my father-in-law, who's a great man of God, he said to me, Paul, whenever you get thoughts like that, pray for the person that you've had a, an unhealthy and a lustful thought after. And I said, pray for them. He says, yeah, pray for the person. Because he said, lust is taking and using. Prayer is giving and receiving. Of course, to David, instead of leaving it there, he sees the woman. He pursues it. He says, who is that woman? Find out about her. And he finds out, of course, It doesn't just say that she's Bathsheba. It says that she's a married woman. So he's intent on a particular purpose. He brings her up to the palace. He sends for her. He pursues her. He sleeps with her. And then he sends her home. His lust is satisfied. She's used. It's disposed of. Nobody will ever know. But David should have taken radical action. Garrison Keeler, in his book Wobegon Days, tells the story of how every year his pastor in Minnesota used to give a talk like this. And during the course of the talk, he would look at the congregation and say, If you didn't want to go to Minneapolis, why did he get onto the train? In other words, something begins here, and you don't stop it, and it ends up way down the line. David should have taken radical action. Uh, can I say this to you on a practical basis? Please, don't put yourself in temptation's way. Don't be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because ultimately, you will get challenged. You will get tempted. And unless you're really careful, you may fall. I, 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 many years ago, a young couple came to me and they said, look, we need to talk to you, Paul, just about to get engaged. They said, look, we're, we're actually in, uh, we're having sex together. And I said, well, that's not great. And I said, tell me what happens and, you know, the details. But they said, well, they said, well, every, the the girl said, every Tuesday, my uh, sister goes to, and her husband go to a prayer meeting. And we babysit for them. And the kids go to bed, go to sleep. We go upstairs, take off our clothes and get into bed. And that's when it happens. (laughs) And they said, could you give us any help? (laughs) I said, well, how about not going upstairs and taking your clothes off and getting into bed? I mean, with that, with that, you know, Seriously. Get a grip on yourself. And I said, you know, the, the issue is this, young person, the battle is not fought and won when you're naked in bed with someone or in the back of a car. The battle is fought and won on your knees by your own bedside before you leave the house. You have the purpose in your, your heart, I'm not going to do this thing. If you do not do that and you wait until you're at the moment... Listen, it's very, very difficult to withstand that. Again, petting, petting and French kissing do not pour cold water on sexual passion. Believe it or not, they do the opposite. If you didn't want to go to Minneapolis, why did you get onto the train? Please listen to me. I, I speak not in order to beat you up today, but understanding as a man, 65 the way it may be, I'm still fit and healthy. And I understand I understand this issue. I have four daughters of my own, all grown up and married now. And uh, whenever they used to go out, I would talk to them, as you can imagine, pretty pretty seriously. And they'd say, Dad, listen, listen, Dad, you know, you, you don't know what it's like. I said, no, it's exactly because I know what it's like. <laughs> That I'm talking to you like this. Leviticus in the law, it's interesting, it often refers to the act, sexual act simply by mentioning the first stage of it. And it says this here, do not un- uncover a woman's nakedness. Do not uncover their nakedness. And, and of course the idea is that you know don't start here because ultimately it'll lead to something else again again, can I just send a practical note young couples going away on holidays on their own and sharing a room it's madness you know if, if, you, don't want, if, you, if you want to push it to the limit then that's okay but if you want to stay pure there's certain things that you have to put in place in your life and into your conduct that actually will prevent you from going down that road Many years ago, again, I was uh, over with my work in London and Priscilla came over. My mum actually was around at the same time, but uh, we we were booked into a hotel, two single rooms. And we got the hotel. They said, sorry, we've only got a double room. And and we said, no, we're not married. And the woman looked at us as if we were from another planet. She said, what do you think? What do you mean? And we said, no, we we don't want to share the same room. She said, there's two single beds. Oh, yeah. That's going to make a difference. It ended up that actually Priscilla stayed in another hotel, because you, you say, "Well, did you not trust yourselves? You're dead right? We didn't trust ourselves. We actually said, you know, there's some things we've got to do to be wise here in order that we won't fall morally. I think it's really important that we maintain an appropriate space, guard our relationships. You know, we, we all work with colleagues these days of the opposite sex, men, women, in church, ministry, all sorts of things. And, and uh, we find ourselves in close contact with them. And you can find, I mean, I don't know about you, but I find there's some people you just click with and other people you don't. There's a chemistry and, and you form a friendship, you enjoy their company, it's non-erotic. But you've got to be careful even in those type of situations. I, I, I often used to talk to my staff about um, compliments and eye contact. And I mean, it, it was, it, you know people said, oh, well, Paul's going to do his stuff again. And I said, no, here's, here's the issue. It is okay to compliment somebody. It's okay to say, hey, love the hair. Hey, you look great today. That's okay. It is not appropriate to stand and look into their eyes, a foot from them, and say, you look really smashing today. I love the way you dress. <laughs> do, do you understand? Eye contact and a particular type of compliment it's really important that, we're, that we are, are careful in this year. We do need non-threatening relationships between men and women, but I think it needs to be with a with agape love, which is healthy and giving. Again, I used to say, I used to say, listen, I want to treat other women the way I want my da- men to treat my daughters. That was a sobering thing for me. I treated older women as aunts women around the same age as my sisters and younger women as my daughters you've got to get this in your mind and put it here why cuz you sow a wrong thought you reap a wrong word and eventually it goes down to your destiny and you've got to be really careful when you think you're in trouble in this here share it with a member of the opposite sex a friend and run 1 Corinthians 12:10 says this be careful when you think you're standing because you could fall. I'm going to just on a, on a, a sidebar. Uh, Proverbs 7 talks about a, a woman dressed as a prostitute. And the idea is that the way you dress affects people. It's you dress in a way that says something. And again, I think it's really important that you've got to be careful how you dress. And this applies to men as well as women. Now, I, I, I don't know if you find, you know, these, are, these jeans are too skinny on me. Or, I don't suspect I'm causing any of the sisters a lust problem this morning. Do <laughs> you, you, you understand? But you never know. We had a, a worship leader... Um, very prominent in a church and one Sunday he showed up, I kid you not, with a leather waistcoat on and nothing underneath it. it that is a trousers on, but he didn't have any top on. Just a leather waistcoat. And my wife said, Paul, do we have a dress code for women here? And I said, Yeah we do. And he said, she said, should we have a dress code for men? I said, you're darn right we should and I met him I went I went and got a shirt that I had in the office and made him wear it. Well he didn't look so good after that. I, I think I think it's important that we please be aware of how it, fe- how it affects people. Yeah. Men in particular are very visual, and and women. i having four daughters and, and a wife. You know, they do talk to me about these things. and They say it's not quite the same for us. That we live. Sometimes we're in a fa- we live in a fantasy realm, looking for a knight to come along in shining armor, and we imagine somebody's nice to us. And and you know something happens. I, I had a pastor friend. And he, he said this to me, committed adultery, and he said this, Paul. And this is, this is no blame on, on his wife. He said, the problem was that my wife and I were going through a rough time. And he said, my wife jumped on my every word. That's how he said, I saw it. But this woman hung on my every word. Conversations can be, you know, you've got to be so careful. So let's be careful how we dress. Why is it a problem? Am I old Paul the killjoy from Northern Ireland doing his Bible bashing thing, telling everybody sex is wrong, cover up your piano legs? I'm not trying to do that in any shape or form, please. But there's a, there's a bigger, there's a really a bigger issue here. It's not, you know, that's bad, you shouldn't do it. There's something really going on here. And it's this, because it's God's order for human relationships. Paul deals with it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and throughout the New Testament, The Corinthians had this idea that there was a a sharp uh, demarcation between body and spirit. So whatever you did with your body was okay. In other words, in fact, Paul says that food for the stomach, you know, they just thought that, hey, having sex with somebody was like eating a meal. It had no difference. It was, it just, you know, you enjoyed the moment. It gave you pleasure and you moved on. It had no effect on you. But Paul makes it very clear that the act of sexual intercourse is not just physical. It's a spiritual issue. And there's something, something going on and involves our whole personalities. It is both a physical act and a spiritual action. And when two people's bodies join together, they become joined in a way that unifies you to them. We become one with them, Paul says. Something connects you, not just physically, but actually spiritually. And what's happening is this, when you do so outside the covenant of marriage, you're being unfaithful to the Lord with whom you're you're in covenant. And if you do with someone, if you if have sex intercourse with someone who is not your wife or your husband, then what's happening is you're being unfaithful to them and to the Lord. Why? You're in covenant with God and in coven, covenant with your husband or your, and your, or your wife. So when you have sex outside of a committed heterosexual lifelong relationship, you're betraying God. It is first and foremost a, a sin against God. So when you do this thing, it's not just, it's not hurting anybody. We're enjoying it. What's the problem? God's very clear about it. You're breaking covenant with him. That's why it's so serious. The second thing is, it actually does something to you. Peter, Paul again talks about it. He talks about every sin that we commit is uh, is outside the body. But he says when we commit a sexual sin, it actually affects its inside. He says that in, in First Corinthians chapter 6. In other words, it defiles you and renders you unclean. It affects you, destroys relationships, wrecks families and marriages. It affects whole personalities. For some reason, God has made us in such a way that we cannot handle betrayal. This isn't just a Christian thing. Throughout the whole of society, you find that. Somebody is betrayed uh, by being unfaithful or immoral. There are huge consequences in their relationship. And it sows something into their life and into their family. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. My, my father was a serial adulterer. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, I mean serial. I mean multiple affairs throughout his marriage. When I was both a child... And a teenager. I have seen the pain and the wreckage that it caused to my mother and the effect long term that it had on my sister and I. And I, and I tell you that not, to, not just to give you a little bit of information, but to simply say something about consequences. Again, a number of years ago, I, I put up a list of things in my own church that would be a consequence of me having an affair. And I put them down here, some of them. The hurt, first of all, caused to the Savior who laid down his life for me. I was going to break the heart of Jesus. Number two, the the devastation caused to my wife and children and now my grandchildren. Um, The people I've led to Christ over the years, how would would they feel? The man that they've looked up to, and that's, that's just the way it is. The man who pointed them to Christ suddenly has a moral failure. What about the church that I pastored for over 30 years, the community of people who I've poured my life into? What would they think? What would it do to their faith? What about the people to whom I've been witnessing to for many, many years? What about my wider family? My dad was the, the youngest of 13. They're, all, they're all, The old 13 of them are dead now. But, but something in that family happened, and they, they looked at me, as the minister of the family, I buried most of my aunts and uncles, some of my cousins as well. What would they think if that happened? My ministry would be destroyed and the friends and colleagues with, colleagues with whom I've worked for many years would have been disillusioned. And what about the testimony of CFC? Dave just said, building a great church undermined because of my actions. There is... A consequence to this. In the moment, all thoughts go out the window. But please think. You've got the word legacy in stage. It's a great word. And, and I, I, I want to say this to you. You know, my dad sewed something into us, Linda and I. But actually, by God's grace and God's mercy, we did okay. <laughs> you don't have to repeat the form of your father and your parents. Just because somebody screwed up in your life, or even you have, it doesn't have to wreck your children. It doesn't have to do that. But you know, as I look back on it, I think, goodness, what a difference it made to me as a man and a father and a husband. Affected me deeply. Our story goes on that there's deception and cover-up. Bathsheba finds she's pregnant. David arranges for the murder of her husband. You you couldn't make this up. In one sense, I'm so glad this story is in Scripture. And uh, David then does a weave, uh, uh, weaves a web of of deception around it. And uh, the problem is, of course, that adultery has many friends. Lies, deception, greed, selfishness. And the deceit, not just of yourself, but of other people, is absolutely staggering. Again, a number of years ago, and as a pastor, I've had to do these things. I went to see a man in our church, <coughs> really active. Uh, he had gone to live with his secretary, left his wife, and uh, she was a Christian as well. And I went in one night to see him. And people were pussyfooting around it, as we, we say, and we're we're being nice and etc. And well, you know, God, but I went in and I said, I said, tell me what's happened. He said, well, uh, Paul, I want you to know, how can it be so wrong when it feels so right? He said, we pray together, we read scripture together. I haven't been as close to God in a long time. And he said, what do you think of that? And I said, here's what I think about it. You are deceived. I said, you deceived your wife, you deceived us, and now you're deceiving yourself. There's a deception that creeps in that you think you can get away with it. Make no mistake, while God loved David, he hated what he was doing. And it was in the nature of God that he was so committed to him that his sin had to be uncovered. You know why? Because God wasn't finished with him. That's the wonderful thing about the, 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 the gospel of grace that we preach. When your sin is uncovered, it's for mercy and grace. That is, you get what you don't deserve. And the Psalms show us what was really going on in David's heart. Outwardly, life went on. Uriah died. He married Bathsheba. She had a baby. Nobody thought anything about it. Life went on. But inwardly, he was shriveling inside. Then the prophet Nathan comes. God isn't finished with David. He tells him a story, which of course is a metaphor for his conduct. And what happens is David is exposed and immediately repents. And I, I don't know about you, but did you pick up that the Lord doesn't beat him up? You know, he, he, he doesn't do that. He actually, in one sense, is heaping coals of fire on his head. The Lord, the prophet tells him what the Lord has done for him. And I think it's fantastic. Sometimes we say, you know, if I could just live a pure life, God would love me. But of course, what, da- what God was saying to David was this, it's because I love you, David. It's because I haven't finished with you. It's because I've got a plan for your life. It's because I've got a destiny for you that I want you to live in a way that honors me and enables you to fulfill the mission that I've given you to do. And I love it that David throws up his arms and doesn't try to bluster or excuse himself. He completely acknowledges his sin. He doesn't say, everybody else is doing it. I'm the king. I need to be able to do these things. Psalm 51, read it. It tells you exactly what's going on in his heart. And David's very clear and he says to God, against you, the Lord, I have sinned and against you only. Again, you only have I sinned. He got it. It It wasn't hurting anybody. It had become a complete and utter mess. But he got that primarily his sin was against God and everything stemmed from that. But David is forgiven. And you know, there's forgiveness here for you today. Again, let me be blunt. Maybe you're thinking about having an affair. Maybe you're having an affair. Maybe you've had one. And could I say to you, maybe, you know, you've been wronged. As I was as a a young man, my father. As my sister said to me, Paul, dad didn't just cheat on mom, he cheated on us. Maybe that's been done to you. I had to battle for years for forgiveness from my father. And I realized, the Lord spoke to me one day and he said, Paul, if there's mercy for you, there's mercy for your dad. Do you know something? I didn't want to hear that. The wonderful thing about the mercy and grace of God is this, it doesn't matter what you've done, you get what you don't deserve, the love and the favor of God. And that's why God's brought you here today. This, this, please, this isn't about me beating you up. It is about me warning you. But it's also, I think, about the Lord saying, this isn't judgment day, this is mercy day. This is mercy day. And God is so incredibly merciful. Be thankful that your sin is uncovered. And God's saying there's still time to repent. He's not finished with you yet? Is purity possible? Yes, yes, yes. L- let's, let's be honest about the problems. Let's, let's, you know, have those conversations. But let's not be despondent. Let's not say, there's no point in talking about this, Paul. There's a tide going on. We cannot stand against it. God is able to deliver us as we make right choices. C.S. Lewis said this, that be ye holy is a promise and not a command. You know, there, there's, it's, it's not God doesn't say, if you're not holy, I'm going to beat you up. What he's saying, the promise is, you know something? God's people can be holy. It's a promise that God makes to us. God has provided a way for us to stay pure. And when we do fail, it's not his fault. Let me just say, as I, as I close today, if you're married, Please make your marriage a priority. Invest in your marriage. I've recently been dealing with a a friend of mine, a pastor for uh, almost as long as I have been, uh, married for 38 years. And uh, his wife confessed to me that they hadn't invested in their marriage for many years. They're now separated on the road to divorce. And you might say, is there somebody else? You're dead right, there's somebody else. Absolutely heartbreaking. Please, after your personal walk with God, this is the highest priority in your life. Invest in your marriage. If you're single, please develop healthy relationships with members of the same sex and opposite sex. And what about accountability? Honestly, I think we all all need somebody in our life who is going to, who we can talk to honestly and say, look, there's an issue going on here. I need in confidence to talk to you. I need you to pray for me. I need to bring it to the light and confess my sins. Give someone the right to ask you the real questions. What were you watching last night? One, one, uh, I, I used to have a, a, a small group, home group, Connect Life group uh, of young men in their 20s. And we decided that we would hold each other accountable. And one weekend, Priscilla was going away. The girls had left the house. And I said, look, guys, I want you to phone me on Saturday morning because I want to be held accountable for what I was watching last night. Now, if you're a young man in your 20s and you're, you're, uh, you're talking to the senior pastor, that's a, that's a big one, but I just thought I'd give them the right to do it. Well, you can imagine the phone call. I got six phone calls on Saturday morning and they went something like this. Hi, Paul, how you doing? It went on for a long time. What did you eat last night? What are, you know, everything. And the rest. and suddenly, I was just thinking about, <coughs> they're coughing. And eventually they said to me, what are you? but you know something? I knew that I'd given the right to someone who looked up to me as a mentor. To, speak, to, speak, to ask me a question, I give them the right to do it. And it held me accountable. And honestly, I was really careful what I watched on Friday and Saturday nights. Because <laughs> I didn't want to compound the thing by lying about it as well. Let's be more open and transparent on this. What about the way back? I'm not going to minimize it. I, I, you've noticed I haven't done that, the seriousness of what goes on. But, but, or make excuses. But I want to say to you today that the Lord brought you here for a purpose today. You're not here, you know, you're, you're, some of you are sitting thinking, I wish my son was here, I'd love him to hear that sermon. It'll be up on the website soon, that'll be okay. <laughs> but you know something for ourselves? Could we as the people of God, in this tension between trying to reach a broken world by broken people, which, which we have been, that we are a prophetic community of God's people? who Christ one day will present as a pure bride to the Father, faultless without stain or spot. I want to live in that. I want to live in the reality of that. And honestly, I'm going to take every precaution that I can that prevents me from walking in all that God has called me. But today, there is mercy and grace available for you here. Why? Because God is not finished with you. He is not disillusioned with you because he had no illusions to begin with. He knows all about it. But he wants to hear you say it and confess it. In a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing as the band come. Why don't we just prepare our hearts? I, I Honestly, I think we're in holy ground here. I know we are, in, in a sense, every Sunday, the corporate body. There's something when you talk about these things, you realize something gets to the root of our being. We are broken. We are fractured. But we've been made whole in Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We can walk in purity. Young man, young woman, older men. That's why Paul says, he says, flee youthful lusts. There are things that you leave behind as a boy. Move on. Grasp that which God has for you.